Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Join us this Sunday at one of our four campuses. Call times are at 9 and 11 a.m. at our Somerville and Remount campuses, 10 a.m. at our North Charleston campus, and 11 a.m. at our Monk's Corner campus. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Larry Burbacher. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit faithishere.org. All right. Hey, good to see you guys today. How many glad you came to church this morning? Wasn't it a, a great spirit in the house, a wonderful presence of God and the praise and worship, and it's always a joy to get together with the family. We're in our reality series, and we're in, we're in Act 4, Part 4, and uh, The Amazing Race. How many know that every one of us are on a journey? We are racing through life. Whether you want to admit it or not, life is flying by. And the older I get, it seems like the faster it's going. It just, it just flies by. Every day flies by. And I'll tell you something else. As I look around at the world, I believe we are getting closer and closer to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming back very soon. And John writes about that. So take your Bibles out. And I have mine in my backpack right here for my amazing race. And so take your Bibles out right now and turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I understand you had some amazing talent here last week for the X Factor. And uh, I know, I know, I know you were, no, I'm talking about Pastor Craig's message. Uh, <laughs> obviously not the singing. But I, I heard great things about the message and the service last Sunday. I can't wait to go online. And by the way, if you ever have to miss a Sunday, which you never do, but if you have to, if you're really sick on your deathbed or you're out of town or something's going on, you can, uh, you can go on our website, uh, www.faithishere.org, and you can pull up any of our messages, any of our services. You can watch it. If for some reason you cannot make it on a Sunday morning, we stream live every Sunday morning, so you can catch the service right where you're at. But uh, we prefer you just come right here. Okay, First uh, John chapter 2. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word today. The amazing race. You know, the, Paul writes... He says, all of us who run in a race, run this race called life. But he says, compete to win. Compete to win. I believe in the house today, we got a room full of winners. How many winners we got here? You're going to win this race. You're going to go all out. And we're going to do it for God. We're racing for God. It's not about us. It's about him. It's the most incredible journey you can ever be on. Now, while you're turning your Bibles, let me just mention real quickly, uh, Many people I know are asking about what's going on in the Philippines. Uh, You saw the news. You saw the devastation. You saw saw the cities leveled and the flood coming in. Convoy of Hope is on the ground right now. They're passing out food. They're passing out supplies. They're doing all that. Next Sunday's offering, a lot of people say, what can I do? I'm moved. My heart's moved with compassion. What can I do to help those people in the Philippines? We're taking our one day to feed the world next Sunday morning. It could not come at a more opportune time. And so all the money that comes in from that, we'll take a second offering next week. There's only a few times a year we take two offerings. We'll take a second offering next Sunday, and, and that offering will go to Convoy of Hope, and it goes to feed the world. So what you do is you take your salary, whatever you make, and you take one day out of your year, and you say, you know, I'm going to give this over and above my tithes to the work of God. And it'll go to the Philippines. It'll go to feed kids around the world. So don't forget to bring that next Sunday morning. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, and for time's sake, I will just read through verse uh, chapter 3 and verse uh, 3, uh, starting with 28, 228. 
And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Don't you want to be confident and unashamed when he comes back? If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what he will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope, everybody say the word hope. In him purifies himself just as he is pure. Father, we thank you for this incredible hope we have in you. Hope of our salvation. Hope that our sins have been taken away. Hope that you're coming back. Take us home one day. We thank you, God, for the great promise in your word. Lord, I pray, God, you'll open up our hearts to receive it today. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Jason Jones tells a story uh, in his book, and it goes back to 1949. And, and And he describes in his story that his dad is coming home from the war. They have been fighting in the Great War, the World War II. He's, that many of the, the soldiers are coming back home, and they're in uniform, and, and there's hitchhikers all up and down the road. They're trying to catch a ride, and, and it was just kind of an incredible scene as all these guys are coming back from the war. But the thrill of the reunion for his dad was overshadowed by the fact that his mother was dying with kidney failure. He didn't realize it till he got home, but she's in the hospital, and, and, and they say if she does not get a blood transfusion, she will die within the next day or two at the most. Her body's shutting down, her kidneys were failing, and she needed a blood transfusion. The problem was her blood type was a very rare blood type. She needed AB negative. And AB negative is, is a rare type of blood, and, and of course in 1949, there's no blood banks like we have today, and so you can kind of just dial in your type and they get great big blood banks through the Red Cross. Now, back then, you had to find a donor. And they could not find a donor that matched her blood type. And so the father's home from war, and he's going to the hospital to see her, and he's crying and weeping. And, uh, and then he heads home to change, and he's going to, at the last, you know, get ready to go back and say his last goodbyes. And he sees a soldier hitchhiking on the side of the road. Now, normally he wouldn't have thought a second about stopping and picking him up, but with all that was going on and the embarrassment of his grief, he, he almost didn't stop, but something compelled him to stop and pick this soldier up who was hitchhiking home. So he stops and he picks up the soldier and he's heading home to change clothes so he can go back to the hospital to say his final farewells to his mother. And, and he begins to cry. He just is weeping behind the steering wheel and the soldier sees what's happening he says man i gotta ask you what's going on what's happening right now in your life and he explains he says you know my my mom's dying and she's got this kidney disease and her blood type is a b negative and and we can't find a donor and that soldier had his dog tags in his hand and he opened up his hand and he it had his blood type on there and it said a b negative he says he says turn around Let's head to the hospital right now. I've got the blood that'll save your mother. 
And they headed back, and, and, and in his book, the end of the, the true story, uh, this lady lived 47 years longer after that and didn't die until 1996. Oh, and that's, that's, that's kind of a neat story. Now, now here's, here's my point from that illustration. Every one of us have a serious blood disease. We have a blood disease that's fatal. We have a blood disease that's going to kill us. We all have that. But the appearance of one man changed everything. That blood disease we have is called sin. But Jesus Christ appeared, and because he appeared, everything in our life has changed. Now, as you, as you look at this scripture, we're going to break it down. Keep your Bibles open right here. I'm going to do just an ex, uh, we're going to just exegete this passage and go through it verse by verse and explain what Christ came to do. The word appearing is used four different times in this passage. Appearing. It's kind of the, the theme of what he's saying. Appearing. Uh, and, and this is our hope. Our hope is tied in with the Lord's appearing. Now, he's appeared once already. Jesus Christ has come once already, and he talks about that first appearing. Let's pick it up with verse number four. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. That's our our problem. Sin is lawlessness, and everyone who sins breaks the law. But you know that he appeared. Everybody say appeared. That he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Now listen to me. We have Christ, we have hope through Christ first appearing. Because the word says when he appeared, he came to take away sins. That's good news. My sins are gone because Jesus came, because he appeared. Now now he says, he talks about sin. And sin's defined a lot of different ways in the Word of God. In Romans 14, 2, it says, whatever is not of faith is sin. In Proverbs 24, 9, it says, the thought of foolishness is sin. In James 4, verse 17, it says, therefore, to him who knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. In 1 John 5, 17, it says, all unrighteousness is sin. But here, in our text that I just read to you, it says lawlessness is sin. So so sin is basically a matter of the will, according to this definition. It It is lawlessness. It is breaking God's law. He says whoever does that sins. Sin is lawlessness. It's to assert our will against God's will. Right? It's It's rebellion. It's rebellion against God in his way. And rebellion is the root cause of every one of our sins. And it's not, it's not just simply our outward behavior, although this becomes the manifestation of sin. But it's, it's that inward attitude of rebellion inside our hearts. That's what sin is, is all about. Inward rebellion. It starts on the inside and then it affects everything else we do. Uh, little Judy's riding in the car with her dad. And she decides, she's in the front seat, she decides to stand up. And so she stands up riding the car. And her father says, Judy, sit down right now. And Judy says, no. He's driving the car. He's getting madder. He says, Judy, sit down right now. It's unsafe. you got to sit down in the car. And so 
Judy says, no. Finally, the father says, if you don't sit down right now, I'm pulling this car off the road and you're going to get a spanking. So finally, she huffs and puffs and sits down. And then she makes this statement. She says, uh, Daddy, I'm still standing on the inside. (laughs) Isn't that the way Sid is? I'm still standing on the inside. (coughs) Sin is actually a problem on the inside. It's It's a problem of that seed of rebellion that is inside of every one of us through that sinful nature, that internal rebellion on the inside then is the essence of sin but the bible says jesus christ came to take away sin isn't that good news the sin bearer lifts the load of sin and takes his weight upon himself not to let the burden come down and fall again upon our shoulders and weigh us down but he literally carries it away he came to take away sin to take it away from our lives, to take it away from our hearts, to take it away from the inside. He carries our sins away. There's a powerful illustration of this in the Old Testament. On the Day of Atonement, when they they got ready to offer the sacrifices, it was a, a, a time of contrition for the nation of Israel. They would fast, they would wait till this Day of Atonement would come. It was a time of the atonement of sins for the entire nation of Israel. And they brought two goats out. And the priest, the high priest, would lay his hand on, on, on the head of one of the goats. And they would hold that goat there. And he would put his hands on the head of that goat. And he would pronounce on the head of that goat all the sins of the nation of Israel. He would just say, we put all the sins of Israel on this goat. And they would take and they would slit the throat of the goat. They would capture the blood. And then on that high holy day, he would go into the holy of holies. And there, the blood of the sacrifice of that goat would be offered up and put on the Ark of the Covenant and on the mercy seat. And then they would take the second goat and they would once again place their hands on the head of the second goat and they would pronounce all the sins of the nation of Israel. But only this time there was a man designated who would, who would uh, take the goat out into the wilderness. And there they released the goat. And he was set free. Thus, we have the term scapegoat. You've heard of that term used today in our terminology. This is where it comes from. This is where it originated. The second goat was the scapegoat. He's the one that got off. He's the one that left. But both these types are fulfilled perfectly in the Lord Jesus Christ because God took all of our sins, uh, the sins of all of humanity, uh, and he placed it on the head of the Lord Jesus Christ. uh, And Jesus Christ fulfills the picture of the first goat because they took Christ uh, and they they hung him on the cross and his blood was spilt as he carried our sins on Calvary. But how does he fulfill the second goat? He is like the second goat because three days later he walked out of the grave and he carried our sins out of the grave with them. And the Bible says we are justified by the resurrection. Jesus is the perfect sin bearer. And so he says, in his first appearing, he came to take away sins. He destroys both the guilt of sin and the power of sin. Now, now here's the logic John uses, and it's going to get really strong here in a minute, so follow me. John is going to really bear down on these Christians who say, I'm a believer, I'm a child of God, but I can do this and I can do that, and God's grace will cover me, and it doesn't matter if I sin or not. 
John says, if we know Christ and we've shared in the blessings of his death, we cannot deliberately disobey God. Because he says the whole cross is denied when a professing Christian practices deliberate sins. You are denying the purpose and power and reason Christ came. He came to take away sins. And so in John's logic, how can you keep sinning? Christ appeared to take away sins. If that's why he came, if that's why he died, if that's why he rose again, why do believers keep on sinning? Now these days you say, Pastor, that's pretty strong, Pastor. This is what John says. I'm, not, I'm just quoting John. Look at verse 6. And here's where he begins to bring the, he brings the double hammer blow in verse 6. Listen to it. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Nobody who lives in Christ keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him. John is saying logically, if a person is deliberately sinning, deliberately in rebellion, he's not a Christian. All these believers that are shacking up and praising God every Sunday, John says you're not saved. He says you're not saved. You're not saved. Since there is, listen to me, John's logic, follow it. Since there is no sin in Christ, it is obvious if we abide in him, we shall not sin either. Because my life is hidden in Christ. You, you, are, are, you, are you tracking with me? Now, somebody's, somebody, some of you guys are thinking ahead of me. You're, you're sharp. You're, well, doesn't everybody sin? Don't we all sin? And, 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 and look at 1 John 1, 8 and 9. And, and it seems like a contradiction, okay? When you read 1 John 8 and 9, and then you read uh, uh, 1 John 3, it seems like a contradiction. He says in 1 John 1, 8 and 9, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay, so he says, if we say we're not sin, if we don't have any sin, we're liars, right? Now, yet he says in 1 John chapter 3, if we keep on sinning, we're not saved. How do you reconcile both verses? Look at verse number 9. He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. It seems to be a contradiction, but listen to me. A true child of God sins less. Not habitually. Abraham lied about his wife. Yet he's called the father of faith. Moses lost his temper and killed a man. Disobeyed God in the wilderness. Peter denied Jesus Christ three times. So these are believers or God followers. Yet they all had sin. And every one of us have sin. And I sin. I sin a lot more than I want to sin. And I sin, and I struggle with that. I struggle with that battle with the the, the flesh and the spirit. And it goes on inside of me. But for, for a believer, sins are incidents of failure, not a settled lifestyle. 
And that's the difference. Paul, John says, how can you keep on sinning? How can you deliberately rebel against God? How can you sin with a high hand? In the Old Testament, they talk about sinning with a high hand. It was a sin of defiance against the living God. And when you come to understand the knowledge of the truth, and you're brought in the light of the gospel, and you know what God's word says, but you choose to remain in that sin, it's different. And when we do sin, he says in verse 9 of chapter 1, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. And we say, God, help me. I blew it again. Help me not to do this again. Change me, God. Forgive me. Cleanse me. And we start all over. A person who lives a life of habitual sin may profess Christianity, but John says if he continues in sin, he does not abide in Christ. Not my words, John's. Now, so he appeared the first time, first of all, to take away sins. But then let's go on. He also appeared the first time in verse 7 and 8 to destroy the works of the devil. I like this. This is good. This is the the, the win stuff. This is the cross and the finish line. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Who who does not do what is right, who, who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He says the reason God appeared, fourth time he uses the word in this text, the reason God appeared is to destroy the works of the devil. So he says he appeared first of all to take away sins. Second, he says he came the first time to destroy the works of the devil. You ought to be more, thank, one person's excited. That's pretty awesome stuff, guys. I'm going to give you one more chance. He appeared the first time to destroy the works of the devil. That's awesome. Listen, the devil's messed up this planet. The devil has invaded planet Earth, and he's messed up this planet. And he, and he messed up God's beautiful creation, and he's tried to spoil it. He messed it up three ways. Let me give them to you very quickly. Morally, he always works to entice us to sin. So there's this moral attack of Satan, of evil, of this presence in the world. Physically, he's invaded the world with disease and sickness and death. Right? Death is the result of sin. He says in the Word, in the, in the, when, when you sin, you shall die. He warned Adam and Eve, they sinned, they didn't listen to God, they rebelled. Death came into the world. Okay? So so he attacks the world physically, he also attacks intellectually. He seduces man into error and falsehood. And last week you heard about that spirit of Antichrist and how the devil comes in to deceive and, and destroy and he calls it the spirit of Antichrist who says Jesus did not come in the flesh. Anyone who says that is of Antichrist and so there is this seducing spirit of, of Satan that tries to lead us into falsehood and error and so he, he seduces that way. So he assaults man, body, soul, and spirit and mind in those ways. But the Bible says Christ came to destroy every work of the devil. Intellectually, morally, physically, spiritually. He destroys the works of the devil. Now the word destroy there doesn't mean to annihilate. 
because Satan is still at work today. So if Christ, if the word meant destroy or annihilate in the language, and it does not mean that. If it meant to annihilate, it meant Satan would have been obliterated when Jesus Christ came to earth. But he's still working today. He's still very active today. But it means he came to render an operative, an operative, or to rob of power. The word destroy in the original language means to rob of power or to render an operative. It's the same word that is found in John chapter 2 and verse 19 when Jesus Christ said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Same word. Now, now this is very interesting. This is a very vivid and colorful word. Christ disintegrates the vast edifice Satan has built on this invaded planet. In other words, in other words Christ came to destroy every work of Satan that he has built up on planet Earth, just like a temple. In, in, in Luke 11, I don't have time to read it to you, you've got to take my word for this. In Luke 11, Jesus compares this world to a palace that contains many valuable goods. Okay? And he says the strong man is guarding the palace. He's guarding his goods. Now this is a picture of Satan's invasion of planet Earth. And everybody who is locked in sin is a captive of Satan. And he is a part of the goods of Satan. Held in captivity. Okay, you follow me here? Satan is the strong man. The goods are lost men and women on planet Earth. The only way to release the goods was for a stronger man to come in and bind up the strong man. And Jesus Christ appeared to bind up the strong man and when he does that he releases those who are held in captivity thus effectively destroying the works of the enemy and he did that on the cross when christ was born and when he came to earth he invaded satan's palace And when he died, he broke Satan's power and captured his goods and spoiled his good. And each time a lost sinner was won to the Lord Jesus Christ, more of Satan's spoils are taken away from him. Isn't that a cool story? Go back and look at it, Luke 11. After World War II, for many months, there was all these, and the the front, the... uh, Japanese front uh, on that side, not, not the European front, and, and when they were hopping from island to island, and, and Americans were, were, would go for island, and they would dig in, and you, you know the stories of, of what happened in that front of the war in World War II. Well, after the war ended, and, and the enemy surrendered, and Hiroshito surrendered, or whoever he was, they, they all surrendered, and it was done, and the war's over, and it's finished, okay? And so it ends. But they still, there were still Japanese who hadn't gotten word. And they were hiding in, the, in, these, in these little islands all, all across, uh, what's, what's that place called over there? The Pacific, that's it, the Pacific Theater. I knew it was one of those oceans out there. Okay, Larry. <laughs> the Pacific Theater, that's the one I'm talking about. There's these little islands all out of the Pacific and, and they're hiding in caves and they're hiding in the jungles and they're living like savages and they're still fighting. 
because they never got the word that the war is over. Well, let me tell you, Satan may be still be fighting, but I want to tell you, the war's over. He's lost. He's defeated. He's down. The cross sealed his victory. When he said it is finished, it was finished then. It was over. Yet he still fights, still hides, still hangs out in the caves in the woods. And when they, when they finally got the word, they could begin to come out of their holes and surrender. Christ has come. He's won the war. And all he says is, listen to me, you've got to surrender. Surrender to Jesus. Surrender. He's the winner. He's the champion. Just surrender. Sentence is pronounced. And, he's in, and so John says, if you're a child of God, you've been delivered from the bondage of sin through Christ's death on the cross, and you have no desire to obey, to obey Satan and live like a rebel. Because I've been saved. I'm out of that. I've surrendered to Christ. So he says there's no desire to, to live like a rebel anymore. Now he gets stronger. Listen to me. Verse 9 and 10. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. That's strong. Because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. The moment you are born of God, God places his supernatural seed inside of you. It's called the new birth. It's the new life. This is how we know that we are the children of God. And anyone who are children and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. Nor is anyone who does not love his brother. There he hits that again. Three different times throughout the first John, he hits this whole love thing. And, and uh, that's pretty important to God has to be to us. The birth of God is a deep, radical, inward transformation. The Bible literally says, I now have a brand new nature. And that new nature, that new seed that is inside of me produces holiness in my life. Okay? It's, that, it's God's seed is planted there. It's inside of me. Just as physical children bear the nature of parents, God's spiritual children bear his nature. I have his seed in me. I'm a child of God. Therefore, I have his nature. And so John deduces that if a guy keeps on sinning and habitually lives in sin, he must never have been born of God. Something's wrong there. There's a disconnect. Because if he's got that seed inside him, it will produce a life of holiness. It can't help but give life. The new nature gives that internal pressure towards holiness. Just as physical children bear the nature of their parents, God's spiritual children bear his nature. A man becomes 
what lies at the core of his personality. Now listen to me. If you entertain evil at the center of your life, you will soon become consumed by it. So if you allow bitterness to remain in there, it will begin to come out. It can't remain in there. If you, ho- if you become a host of hate, uh, a host of falsehood, uh, uh, a bastion of pride, uh, it becomes the thing that you become and you become like that and you cherish that thing. In other words, evil cannot be can- contained on the inside. It seeps into your thoughts your words and your actions and pretty soon it consumes your personality but if Christ is at the center this is what John is saying if Christ is at the center we sing that song Jesus be the center of my life listen to me if Christ is at the center he too cannot be contained it permeates every part of your life it permeates your speech and your thoughts and your actions and your words and your everything about you because Christ is at the center. John says if you've got this seed inside of you, it's got to come out. So if Christ is at the center of my life, it affects every action and decision I make. A child of God carries the regenerative seed of God. If a person with that life seed implanted into him falls into sin, what happens is he can't be happy like that. Because I've got the seed of holiness. i got, I got God's spirit in me. And so when I sin, I can't be happy in that state. I can't be happy like that. It, it's contrary to the nature of Christ. So Christ within constrains me. He challenges me. He rebukes me. And he presses me hard on my conscience. So, let me tell you how to handle sin. Sin is not controlled by repression, but by preoccupation. The sin nature that, 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 that we war against, that flesh nature, is not ever going to be controlled by repression. You can't keep it down. It is going to be controlled by preoccupation. So when Christ is at the core, when Christ is at my center, and I'm abiding in him, and he in me, that is my control against that sin nature. Are you, are you getting this? this is, it's, 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 it's John's logic. His first appearing gives us hope. It gives me hope because he came to take away sin. It gives me hope because he destroys the work of the devil. But then he says there's a second appearing that's coming. And that second appearing also gives me hope. And look at verse chapter 2 and verse 28 again. It's been a while since we've read it. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, there's that word again, we may be confident and unashamed before him and his coming. So the first thing it says there is when he appears, we can be confident and unashamed. The word appearing there is the word parousia. Parousia. It, it's, uh, it's, it was an expression that was used to describe the return of a king or the presence of the king. Parousia. Uh, we, we might use the word rapture. How many have heard the word rapture before? It's from that rude word parousia. Rapture. The Lord's return or appearing will involve a personal presence of our Lord and king. And he says when he appears, we can be confident that word confident means outspoken frankness 
or it has the idea of freedom of speech. Now turn to Hebrews real quick, just because I want to show you that word again. Hebrews 4, 15, and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in every point tempted as we are, just as we are yet without sin. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. Same word, okay? Same word in Hebrews 4 as you find in 1 John chapter 2. Now, listen to me. I have confidence now because of my high priest. And I can be outspoken and free to go to the throne of grace any time of need. I have confidence because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But the same confidence that allows me to go to the throne of grace now will give me confidence when Jesus Christ comes back. Because I've been going into his presence every day. And I talk to him every day. And so when he comes back, I don't have to hide. I don't have to be afraid of his coming. I say, oh God, don't come today. I may not be ready. I got confidence now because I have confidence to go to his throne of grace every day. Confidence. And when he comes back, we have this hope that we will be confident and unashamed at his appearing. And then the second thing he says about his appearing it is really cool. It's in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. Jump back there. Dear children, dear friends, now we are the children of God. And what we have, uh, what we will be has not been made known. But we know that when he appears, fourth time we've talked about that word today. When he appears, we shall be like him. So my hope is this. My hope is I will be confident and unashamed when he comes a second time, but I will also be like him. That's real hope. I will be like him. Now, what that, what's that mean? God's love does not stop at the new birth, but it continues throughout my life, and it takes us right all the way to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. God never stops loving us, and we shall be like him. At his appearing. Now, what's that like? What does that mean, I'll be like him? Well, what's, what's that look like? What's that feel like? Well, let me give you a little foretaste, a little hint. Peter, James, and John had a little foretaste of the glory of God. They're taken on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus glows bright. He allows the internal glory to come on the outside. It is a shining white glow, and they saw the glory of God. And it was an awesome presence of God's glory. You can get a hint of it in Revelation chapter 1, when John writes about his vision of what Jesus Christ looked like. And if you want to see what he looks like in all his glory, it is an incredible picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. The trouble is, our eyeballs and our eye sockets and our lives in, in, in this fleshly world, we can't handle the glory of God. All of it in its fullness. So Christ changes us. The word there, we shall be changed, is the word metamorphosis. And so like a butterfly, we go in like this ugly caterpillar and we come out like a beautiful butterfly. God has got to give us a new body and a new, a, a, a new body at his appearing, so we can handle his glory and his presence in its fullness when he appears. We are going to be changed. Uh, if we're going to witness all of his power and all of his glory, there has to be a ch- transformation. So what God does is he makes us like him. The future body of the redeemed 
will be a spiritual body. And he writes about it in 1 Corinthians 15. It's, it's other places where he talks about the transformation of our bodies. But he's given us a brand new body that will be adapted for our new world with Christ Jesus. Now, already we have the image of Christ. Here's the problem. It was marred by the fall. But the image has still been stamped on everybody's life. The image is there at the core of who we are. There's the image of God stamped on every single person. But it's been badly damaged and marred by the fall of man. It's that cracked vessel, that cracked pot. Our, our pots were made. They're all cracked because of sin. You remember the analogy that, that uh, Jeremiah talked about? Cracked pot. Since, that, since when we ask Christ into our heart, the Holy Spirit comes into us. He puts the seed of Christ inside of us, his Holy Spirit. And so the Bible goes on to say, into his likeness, we are being changed from glory to glory to glory. So what happens is now, God has changed my spiritual nature, and I'm being transformed uh, from glory to glory to glory. Uh, He's working in my life. He's sanctifying me because of that seed of his presence. Uh, But then comes the coup de grace. When Christ comes back, we shall be like him perfectly sin's gone forever never dealt with ever ever again in his return we shall finally and completely be like him including our brand new resurrected body this hope then includes his appearing and our seeing him and becoming like him three things are a part of that hearing it says we shall see him and we shall become like him and this hope is not an uncertain hope. It's not like man's flimsical hope. Oh, I hope so. I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I, I, I hope I get this job. I hope I get it. The hope that we have is based on Christ Jesus. Uh, that's why it is a real hope. It is based on the word of God. It's not a false hope. It is a real hope. The Bible says, since we are pure without spot or wrinkle at his coming, like him, we need to ensure that the purification begins in our hearts now. Right? He's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. Because we've been changed. We've been transformed. I have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus right now. I am robed in Christ Jesus. I am clothed in him. And so I'm holy before God, and yet I want to ensure that that internal work of purity and righteousness is always coming through on the outside. So I let the seed of Christ come out. Only the blood of Christ can cleanse from sin and guilt. But we have a part in repenting, in fleeing from evil, in turning to Christ, and abiding in him. Only Christ can give us a new heart. Only Christ can change us. But I have a part in that. Because I repent. Because I confess my sins. Because I flee from evil. 1 John 3.10 then, he puts it this way. This is how we know that we are the children of God and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. Or is anyone who does not love his brother. Now, I'm 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 closing with this thought. Listen to me. There's only two classes of people. There's not one class. Not everybody's a child of God. Now, in in, in one sense, in the word of God, he talks about all being children of God through creation. 
And so we're all physical children made by God, but spiritually, not all are children of God. He said, there are those who are children of God, and there are those who are children of the devil. There's not one, there's not just one option, there's not three, four, five options, only two. Only two. You're either a child of God, or you're a child of the devil. Right? That's what the word says. There's... John is very black and white. Very black and white. There's not a lot of grays with John. You just read his writing. There's just not a lot of gray, gray stuff there. There's either truth or falsehood. There's either good or evil. There's either right or wrong. There's either God or the devil, right? And, and he says these two are irreconcilable opposites. They are as far opposite as you can get. So your parentage is either divine or diabolical. Now, the way you become a child of God on the human side is by believing and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible calls that faith, by believing and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith. On the divine side, our salvation occurs when God deposits his seed inside of us. And we become the children of God. And I have his Holy Spirit, and that is a spiritual birth, and that is called grace. So we're saved by grace through faith. The human side, the divine side. Grace and faith. And he says, John says, meanwhile, in the meantime, how do you know who are children of the devil and who are children of God? John says, by their behavior. By their behavior. If they do evil, their daddy's the devil. If they live righteous, their daddy's God. Not necessarily by what they say, or a prayer they pray, or something they, they say and do. He says in Matthew, many will say unto me, Lord, Lord. And he say, depart from me. I never knew you. And there's a lot of people that say, Lord, Lord. But, but their actions show they are children of the devil. That's what John said, not me. He says it's recognized by their behavior. And the word says in Matthew again, by their fruit ye shall know them. And so if we are going to be loyal to his first coming uh, and enter into that forgiveness of sins uh, that are now taken away and, and be a part of those spoils that God has taken, uh, has set free uh, because he destroyed the work of the devil. And we're going to be ready for his second coming. Then we've got to, the Bible says he ends up by saying, purify yourself as he is pure. Sum it all up. Purify yourself as he is pure. Your father's God. Walk like it. Talk like it. Act like it. Don't be hypocritical. Be real. Be real in your faith. Be real in your walk. Be real in your commitment. Be real in your love. Be real. Don't shine on. Don't put on a front. Don't act one way. Don't act one way in here and one way out there. John says, be real. You've got the seed of God in you. He's coming back. Mm, 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 mm. Listen to me. This amazing race is coming to an end. 
It's either going to end with your life ending or the heavens opening up and Jesus Christ returning and the trumpet call of God. But the race is going to end. So I want you to ask yourself three questions. And let's, uh, we're doing a little heart searching now. This is the, this is the application. This is, where we, this is our takeaway. This is what we've learned this morning. Ask yourself three questions and don't answer them out loud, but be very honest with yourself. Number one, do I have the divine nature in me or am I just pretending to be a Christian? Do I have his divine seed and nature in me? In other words, let me put it another way. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Child of God, child of the devil. That's your only two options. Who's your daddy? Number two, do I have unconfessed sin defiling my inner man? And if so, are we ready to confess it and forsake it? Wow. Do I have unconfessed sin that I've allowed to remain in my life? And if I do, am I willing to confess it and forsake it? Because I'm a child of God. A good question. Ask yourself that, church. And number three, do I allow the old nature to control my thoughts and desires? Or does the divine nature rule inside of me? Which nature am I allowing to win? Who's controlling? Who's winning the war? Who's winning the battle? I, I said, I asked, I asked, I, I sing it a lot. I like this song. Jesus at the center. It's simple, not complex. Jesus at the center of my life. Just be at the center. Just, God, I want you. I want you at the center. I want, I want my life all about you. It's not a five-step program, a 10-step program, a do this, a do that, walk through this hoop, go through that hoop. Just put Jesus at the center of your life. Just make him your everything. Make him your all. Just love God. Just love God. Just love God. You know what? He just, God, he just takes care of everything else. Just takes care of everything else. Be preoccupied with Christ. And when you are, you'll walk like him, you'll talk like him, you'll think like him, you'll act like him, and yeah, we're going to blow it. And I go to God, and that, and that sin messes me up because I don't want to do it, and I feel terrible because i got Christ in me, and I love Jesus too much, and I don't want to do that junk anymore. We just go back to Jesus and say, God, help me. And we keep on going. And we keep on running the race. And there's challenges along the way. I don't know if you've seen Amazing Race. There's all these challenges you face along the way. And there's challenges in this amazing race we are in. But I want to tell you, keep your eyes set on Jesus Christ like a flint. Because he's coming back. It's worth it. He's taken away sin. He's defeated the devil. And he's appearing again. Now I want to be, I want to see him unashamed and confident when he appears. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Jesus. 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 Listen, if you're here today and you don't know which camp you're in, you don't know if you're a child of God or a child of the devil, you're so messed up now you don't know what to think. You've allowed unconfessed sin to remain in your life and you haven't dealt with it. Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now. He says, repent, confess, repent, confess, and I'll forgive you and I'll cleanse you. Some of you just, just 
that, that, that it seems like that flesh nature tends to dominate and take over my mind and take over my actions and it just it just controls me confess repent turn back to God, come to God. And some of you in here today may have never asked Jesus to come into your heart and life. You've never made that decision to follow and serve the Lord completely. I'm not asking you to pray to prayer. I'm just saying, did you ever give your heart and life and your mind and soul and body to Christ? Have you done that? You're here. You need to ask Jesus to come into your heart today. I want you to raise your hand right now all over this building. Raise your hand right now all over this building. I'm not waiting long. Yes, ma'am. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Hallelujah. Yes, sir. God bless you. Thank you so much. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. God bless you. Yes, thank you. Someone else? Someone else? Someone else? Yes, God bless you. Thank you so much. You may slip your hand down. Anyone else? Anyone else? Hallelujah. It's an amazing race because this journey following Christ is the most amazing race you can ever get on. But it has a grand finish. It has a super finale. It is awesome. Anyone else? Anybody else? I'm going to say, Pastor, I, uh, I'm trying, but I just, it seems like I'm losing the battle. I'm losing the war, and I just need to, there's things God's dealing with me with that I need to confess and repent today. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's immorality. Maybe you're lying, anger, bitterness. There's just these lust of the flesh that seem to dominate some areas of your life. And you've got to confess and repent it today. You want to get rid of it once and for all. Maybe it's a habit that's bound you. And you feel bad every time you do it. But you haven't been able to break it. Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. And he'll destroy that in your life today. He can do it this morning in a moment. Anyone who'd say, I need, I need your prayer today. I need help today with some issues in my life. Just raise your hand right now all over this building. I need help. I need help from God today. There's things I'm dealing with. Yes, 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 yes. God knows what they are. It's just between you and him. It's, it's not between me. You don't have to confess to a priest. My high priest has already gone to Calvary for you. And so you confess it to him. You take it to him. We'll pray for you. We'll agree with you. But this is you and God. Yes, yes. Anyone else? There's some stuff God's dealing with you on. Yes, yes. There's things God's working with you on right now. Yes, God bless you, sir. Anyone else? Let's stand together right now. Everybody's standing. Everybody's standing. I don't know. There's a bunch that said I need help. Listen, we're, this altar's a place for help. We are going to pray for you this morning. If you don't know Jesus, when you come down to the altar, here's what you're going to do. You're going to tell the altar worker who's down here, I came to give my heart to Jesus Christ today. You know what they're going to do? They're going to pray with you. They're going to show you some scriptures about how you can be saved and, and what, what, what your part is and what you do. And they'll pray with you right there on the spot. They'll connect with you. We're going to connect you to somebody right now who will walk you through as you start your brand new journey in Christ Jesus. And then if there's others who said, I got junk in my life I'm dealing with, you just come. We're not going to be nosy. We're not going to pry, but they're going to pray with you too that whatever is attacking your life, God will deliver you. God will set you free. God will give you total and complete victory today today he's already been bound we're just acting and stepping out on faith on what christ has already done thanks for listening to this weekly podcast check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages